Welcome to Series 3 of This Wildlife Podcast, a conservation podcast that brings you up to date with frontline conservation efforts from across the world. We talk with experts who have dedicated their lives to protect our beautiful planet. From wildlife vets, to bush pilots, to rangers leading anti-poaching operations, and those who work undercover to dismantle the illegal wildlife trade. We are This Wildlife Podcast, and we're here to bring the wild to you. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Wildlife Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Turner, and this week we're going to be heading over to California and talking with someone who gets up close and personal with the barbaric exotic animal trade. That person is Bobby Brink, the founder and director of an exotic animal sanctuary called Lions, Tigers and Bears. Today we'll be talking all about the catalyst and what led Bobby to start the sanctuary, what the early days were like, how you go about rescuing an animal from the exotic animal trade, and we'll also be talking about the Netflix phenomena, Tiger King. So, Bobby, a warm welcome onto the show. It's really great to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Now, before we chat about your fascinating journey, I think it'd be interesting to dive straight into the exotic animal trade and hear a little bit more about what it is. So, Bobby, could you please give us an insight um, into what, what this is? Right. So I kind of stumbled on it accidentally, like most people will, because it's not so well known. But it's second to drugs and weapons and human trafficking in our in our country. It's, you know, $20 billion industry a year where animals are used for nothing more than profit. And they're disposed of uh, when they're done with them. Some of them are sold into the trade for their body parts or their hides and And, you know, absolutely ridiculous. We have more tigers in the state of Texas than we have in the wild. So in backyards and in captivity, we have the most cats in the state of Florida. It's just, you know, wrong. Wild animals are wild. They belong in the wild, not in somebody's basement or backyard. And a lot of people don't even know, like, shipping and if they're trying to illegally ship animals, sometimes they have to ship 100 for one to live. So it's just, there's no words. And Bobby, why did you decide to start the sanctuary? What what led you to this? So I was actually in the hospitality business and I had a restaurant. I was opening my restaurant and looking for equipment. And I kept seeing lions, tigers, leopards for sale. And, you know, being the animal lover that I am, I wanted to check it out, see the animals and so I, the first ad I answered uh, was a lady lived in a mobile home on five acres and she had 30 breeding big cats and babies running all over her mobile home floor. So you could pick them up, hold them, take one home today like a puppy. And so I didn't really know anything about exotic animals at that time. So I started volunteering for her and we actually became very good friends and I saw so much. And so many animals just going, you know, to anybody, to anybody that showed up. And then um, I started seeing some of them come back when they got too big. Matter of fact, that's how I met Joe Strivogel from Tiger King as I was there digging post holes one day. And he showed up to pick up an older cat. So just 
it's really sad. You know, then at that time, 23 states, it was perfectly legal to own any animal that you wanted to own. So I started answering more ads. I actually answered an ad for a guy that needed help taking care of his bears. And I got a one day training course in how to feed the bears. And I, I fell in love with the bears and I started going there regularly, just like I went to the other place and taking care of the care the bears. But it got to be where if I didn't show up, the bears didn't have any food. They didn't get any water. They didn't get any care. And I would see him loading up the bears and and leaving with them. And then he wouldn't come back for days. And all the other bears were just left there. So I would always ask him where he was going and he would always tell me, oh, it's none of your business, you know, none of your business. And so one day I followed him from Southwest Houston to the Arkansas, Texas border. And what he was doing was setting up these big rings. Um, and then there was a little bear pens and the guy, and this was night in early nineties, like 90, 91, the guys would pay a thousand dollars to wrestle the bear. And then all the other guys would bet who was going to win the bear, or the man just, so not only are these dangerous bears that he's letting anybody work around, but they're not getting any care. So I called everybody, the sheriff, the Humane Society, the animal control, everybody I could find in, in outside of Houston. And there was nothing they could do. They said it's perfectly legal, perfectly legal for him to have and treat the animals like that. And I, I've, in many cases I've worked on, I've even had a judge tell me, you know, if you own a car and you go out and beat your car up with a baseball bat, it's your business because it's your property. And tigers are considered property. And that's the problem. They have no rights. It's completely shocking. It's inhumane. And for the courts to say that these animals are merely property seems completely appalling. It can take years. And sometimes we, we, we can't get the animals out. You know, perfect example right now is everybody's seen Tiger King. The animals are still being abused with Jeff Lowe to this day. And we're still working on getting them out of there, us and many other animal organizations, but they're still there. I mean, it's just a matter of time now, but it's just so sad. How many animals have to die? How many go without medical care before something is actually done? And what do you think is the reason for this? Do, do people just not care about what's happening? I think they don't care, but I think there's no laws to protect the animals. You know, like it's like I said, their property and it makes it almost impossible. And when when they're regulated by the USDA and the USDA's take is they are not in the business of shutting down businesses. And that's kind of where that's where it always stops. So right now, the Department of Justice has that case. So we'll see what happens, hopefully, you know, before any more animals die, before any more, any more are so badly abused, we can't get them back hard you know I, I i i started trying to help animals when i had my restaurant and I, I met a woman and uh she had these leopards and we ended up my husband and i built them a habitat and the deal was she would spay and neuter them they would never be bred again and this is where they would live for life so we built the habitat and it wasn't like two weeks after we put them in the habitat she was breeding them so that's when i decided okay that's it I'm like, I'm going to make my own sanctuary and we're going to do it right. We're going to do it right, right for every animal. So talking about your sanctuary that is based in California, what was the process like to set up the sanctuary? I, I can't imagine this was an easy thing to do. Oh, wow. It was 
not easy. It took from 90, 1998 to 2002 to get the permits, get the properties, um, and get going. It was like one obstacle after the other, and we really wanted to do it here. This is my home in San Diego, and everyone said, oh, this can't be done in San Diego County. But we got it done. It just took a, a lot, you know, got through all the red tape, and, you know, still, it, there's always obstacles. Like, you have to be really resilient if you want to run a sanctuary. And you just have to hit a brick wall and just find a way around it because it's not easy. The permitting's not easy. Fighting with the people who have the animals aren't easy. We get death threats. We get, you know, people are crazy. If you're, if you're shutting them down, sometimes you're taking away their living. So it's hard, but it's, it's so worth it when you get an animal out of just, you know, a disgusting pit in, and watch them go swimming and run on the grass for the first time or feel dirt. You know, we have so many bears that have never been on dirt. It's just wrong. And it, it, so that's the paycheck when you get to really watch the animal come out of the abuse. And it, it takes six months to a year for them to finally start trusting you. You know, just a lot of TLC, a lot of time, usually a lot of medical care, and we can get them to come around. Now, we can't put them back in the wild, unfortunately, but we do the best we can. And what species do you have in your sanctuary and, and what uh, species have you rescued? Mm, well, we have 17 different species here. So, you know, from the grizzly bear to the Himalayan black bear, American black bear, leopards, tigers, white tigers, white lions, serval, but also to even domestic animals like llamas, goats, horses, macaw. So pretty much we are focused on the lions, tigers, and bears, but we'll rescue any animal. Yeah. And in terms of the process of rescuing the animal, I suppose this is definitely not a simple process and requires a huge level of logistics. So yeah, how do, how do you go about rescuing an animal from the exotic pet trade? Right, so our hauler is always loaded and it's fully self-contained so you can walk away and leave it it's barred on the inside it locks it's temperature controlled it lets you know when the generator turns off and it's loaded with first aid for animals first aid for people capture equipment tons of tools because a lot of times we literally have to build something because the cages are so safe that we can't dart or it's really hard that someone built it in their dining room so you can't fit a transfer cage in, you can't get the animal out. There's no way to evacuate the animal even, so a lot of times we have to build something. But there's a lot of prep and organization before. You gotta have permits to cross every state line and just getting the owner to sign over or getting the warrant to go in. A lot of times uh, we've even, taking animals off drugs where they're put, they have the leopard and tiger cage on top of the drug and money stash. So the first responders will go in and serve the warrant. Then we go get the animals because they're not trained to move the animals. And so we'll get them and then they'll go back to business, whatever the reason is that they're for. It just, every case is different. Every animal has their own complete story that they come with and how they got here. And we just got to, you know, plug along with the first responders and the authorities till we finally can get the animal out. And there has been some that they die before we can get them out. And Bobby, what is your day-to-day life like when you're rescuing these animals out of the trade? Um, You're running the sanctuary. That must be crazy. Well, it's not boring. (laughs) (laughs) 
So every day is different and you always wake up with your list of things to do and usually get pulled away and pulled away and, uh, you know, it's 94 acres here and all the habitats have a pool. So there's always something broken and, you know, that's just normal. So there's a lot of maintenance and how we're going to fix it. And, you know, animals get sick. They're like children or they get, you know, hurt themselves. So there's a lot of that. And, you know, then you have the public to deal with because we do do the educational visits. So organizing that and really making it where everybody does get an educational experience when they get here. So we show a video prior to showing anyone the animals so they understand why the animals are here. And, you know, hopefully we're getting to the kids where they want the animals to be wild. And, you know, it's the younger teenage generation right now that'll decide whether we keep animals in cages and keep breeding them for nothing more than to be in cages or we let them go. It's hard because the when I first started doing this in the 90s and I first went to the lady's house with the mobile home, you know, the way she was caring for them, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, this is okay. But when you do it every day and you really get to know these animals, they don't belong in a cage. And no matter how nice or how big the habitat is, they're still not free. So it's, I always tell people, you know, no matter how nice of a house you have, you don't want to be locked in there. You want to go outside. You want to go other places. They don't, they don't have that opportunity. So looking to the future, do you think this barbaric trade will stop? Do you think we will ever see an end to I this? I think the bill, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, needs to pass. Um, I disagree with a lot of people that uh, think that there should not be regulations for owning these people. There should be very strict regulations for owning these, these animals. Um, passing the Big Cat Public Safety Act, it isn't going to have high enough fines to hurt any of these people in the pocketbook. So if you're not hurting them financially, whether it's illegal or not, they're still going to do it. So it is going to help... Um, if we, when we go to do some of these cases, that what they're doing is illegal and it'll stop some, some of the unnecessary breeding. But watching this since the 90s, I don't think they really care what's illegal and it'll force it more underground like drugs. And the good, guy, the good guys aren't as good at working together as the bad guys are. The bad guys are really good at working together and keeping everything a secret and hiding all these animals. Because when I first started doing this, they would call the sanctuaries and want to give the sanctuaries their leftover animals, especially the photo op animals. But then when the sanctuaries like myself started exposing them for what they are and what they do, then they work together to hide everything. And now you don't, it's not as open. You don't see what they're doing. And that's why we can't track the animals and we have no idea where they're, where they're going. And even very well-known celebrities going on TV with the animals, they disappear. Where are all the, all the babies that they take on, on the media? So we'll actually be playing the movie, The Conservation Game, here on uh, May 8th. And i uh, hoping that exposes you know, a lot of this to the public so that they know only to support accredited sanctuaries. You know, if you're on vacation, don't go to these roadside zoos and don't support these people. So Big Cat Public Safety Act, education, education, education so it's the only way getting people to care trying to get them to care and sorry but i just want to understand as well and understand it properly are these animals bred in captivity or are they also pulled out of the wild both but most of them are captive bred 
and it's not hard to breed a tiger and they'll they'll breed them right back so 105 day gestation they'll pull the babies at eight days or 10 days before their six to 10 days before their eyes are even open which is just horrific and then that's when they'll start using them for photo opportunities or cub petting or handling and yeah it's just it's gross and a lot of them are kept in 10 by 10 squares two of them for nothing more than breeding because again there's no regulations so there are certain states california actually does have some, some regulations so they have some laws to fall back on but then it's enforcing the laws if nobody's willing to enforce the laws then the animals continue to live like this and like tiger king another really good example you know since the 90s he's been known as a bad breeder um, disposing of animals animals disappearing but there's really been nothing anybody can, can do and without stating the obvious these are dangerous wild animals aren't they with, with instincts oh they could kill you in a hot second mm. and, and i imagine there are serious instincts with those who decide to hold these animals captive it, it's a split second and you can make a mistake and you can lose your life i mean these are top of the line apex predators it's what they know and it's not their fault that's instinct and you're never going to get that instinct out of them in our lifetime ever so you can train them but you can't tame them you know, and you and like we saw, here's a really good example with Siegfried and Roy. You know, they will turn on you when you push them far enough because they're only going to take it for so long before they finally get their opportunity. And they're opportunists. To, they're just looking for that opportunity. And so what on earth happens with those who have caused human harm? It must be even worse for that animal now. Are they shut in a cupboard or, or something equally as awful? It happens a lot and um, even fingers or if they get a hold of your hand or your arm, a lot of people have lost arms or any limb that they can get through the fence. It's actually a little bit safer to be inside than outside at that point because you can't get your body part back with the fence in the way. So um, in, the, in the past, they used to just put them down, but now it's, it just depends on the case if the animal escaped a lot of times they'll be shot because public safety. So lots of cases uh, where owners have been, been killed, and especially even with reptiles. You know, a lot of reptile accidents. Now, Bobby, one of the things that really interests me is, in your opinion, what is the psyche of someone who, who owns an animal like this? Why do people do it and, and what drives it? I would say in the beginning, some of them start out really loving animals and they just want that bond and they, they want that animal, but they don't know what they're getting themselves into. And it doesn't, that's the private ownership where they might mean well in the beginning, but it doesn't quite work out. Or the ones that start a roadside zoo, they don't realize how hard it is and all the obstacles financially that they're going to um, run into. So that's how the cub petting starts. And then I think good intentions gone bad. And then there's just the terrible ones that are in it for nothing more than the money. And the better the business person that they are, the more money that they make and the more animals that go out the back door and disappear are, are disposed of. So I think money is a big one. You know, and there are a couple of them that do the photo ops that make millions of dollars and they'll breed 100 to 200 cats a year. and Nobody knows where they go. 
I would like to see in my lifetime where we're guardians of animals and we're responsible for them, not the property. Just, you know, like if you saw this abuse with a child or a senior citizen, it would never fly. But with animals, everybody looks the other way. And do these animals ever get released? Because people just can't keep them anymore. You know, like they release them into their local areas. Oh, all the time. And especially, especially reptiles. It's kind of common practice to buy your kid a snake and then it gets too big and they let it go. (laughs) Kind of scary. And there are a lot of uh, reptiles people don't know in our country that are non-native species that are venomous and there is no anti-venom. And that's one of the, you know, where they're importing so many and we don't even know how many are making it in and how many are dying. And those are the type of animals that are sold at the exotic animal auctions where anybody can buy them. So we used to have a place called Mount Hope in Ohio, and that was probably the biggest one in the country. And everybody would go to Ohio and there were no laws and you could buy anything. And they would put red stickers on anything venomous. And and we have uh, shots of the tables where everything is red. And kids going in and buying alligator, adults going in and buying alligators and, you know, venomous snakes for their children. It's just. And obviously then, as you said, there needs to be a generational shift um, that you should just, people just know that owning these animals keeping them hostage essentially is completely completely wrong um and they should only be in the wild um but before that shift occurs we have many listeners listening across america what what can they do to help the cause so i think to support lions tigers and bears of course donating lions tigers and bears.org but uh, education, I, I, you know, I'd love to see every third grader and every fifth grader understand the exotic animal trade and, you know, supporting only accredited sanctuaries. So in the United States, that would be GFAS and ASA, American Sanctuary Association, not supporting like the roadside zoos or the breeders because they're the ones that are causing the problem. And be really careful with the word sanctuary because a lot of them we call scamptuaries because... They're not a true sanctuary. So again, supporting the accredited ones. And um, just know your animal. You know, if you're gonna donate, know your animal. Try to visit the sanctuary that you're supporting. Get to know the staff, get to know your animal. Know why it's there and know what happens when it dies and why it died. You know, animals die, but they don't disappear out the back door. So a lot of places that are not good sanctuaries, you'll, when the public loses interest in the new rescue, they'll kind of just disappear. And then that gives them space to bring in a new one. So you got to be really careful of that. So know your animal. Well, I must say, it's been a complete pleasure. It's been an incredibly eye-opening conversation. Just like me, I'm sure many of our listeners will be astonished by what you've just been telling us. So thanks so much for your time today. It's been truly excellent. Thank you. And if you're ever in San Diego, come and see us. And you can't stay the night. We do have a little retreat here. It's two bedrooms. And you stay the night with the animals. And yeah, Bobby, thanks again. You've listened to This Wildlife Podcast, hosted and produced by Amy Turner and David Grant. To get updates on previous and upcoming guests, you can check us out on Instagram and Facebook. We want these vital conservation messages shed far and wide. So, if you fancy it, 
leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and please do subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. It's awesome to have you along on this journey with us. We are This Wildlife Podcast and we're here to bring the wild to you.